You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Steamheart. Chapter 31. Suspicion. Miguel, Willowhaven, Mississippi. Today. Rao darts forward the moment we return to the world of men, crying out to me to come away from the door. I do so, but run in the opposite direction, hauling Jeremy along with me. Butler comes back through as well, and finally Henry, whose face is bleeding from a deep tear. James and Abigail have emerged from Steamheart and stand with Harau and Annie, who has her hands up to her mouth in horror. Close it, Gray. Butler orders, and nobody comes near us. Abigail reaches out with both hands, while Butler keeps his pistol pointed at the doorway. It begins to contract and fold in on itself. The sound of the wind dying as it is smoothed over, collapsing into a little glowing yellow ember, before becoming nothing at all. My hands shake. Jeremy is panting and soaked in sweat. Butler does not lower his gun, instead now training it on Henry, standing some twenty feet away, between the two groups. How are you feeling, Jackson? My heart, my heart's racing. My vision's blurred. Henry pants, dropping to his knees. Maybe it's, maybe it's just the strain. Maybe, maybe I'm all right. Keep the gun on me, though, sir. Did you get stung or bit or any of the plant's fluids on you? Yang, my, Yang might have had some on his hands when he when he touched me. Henry admits, pointing to the horrible wound in his face. Can I just? Can we wait and see? I'll give it a minute. We wait in silence while Henry gets up and paces back and forth, holding his head in his hands. Delgado, Pines, are you clear? We were away from the pod, says Jeremy. I wish I could have helped. I might have pulled back one of the men with me. I lost them all. Henry gasps loud. Oh, oh God, forgive me. He holds up his hand and stares at his fingers, twitching. I can definitely feel some. I think you're infected, son. Wait, wait, don't, don't shoot me. Don't shoot me, don't, don't shoot me. I'll make it quick. I don't want it to be quick. I want, I want this pain to go away. Doctor. You have more faith. James kneels and unzips his medical bag, carefully withdrawing a syringe and a small bottle, extracting a measure of the clear liquid. Lieutenant Jackson, this should be enough to end things gently. He hands the needle to Annie, who walks it out halfway to Henry and places it on the ground. I'm going to tell you how to self-administer. You do what you must, sir. Nobody else has to watch this. What happens next takes several minutes of instruction. The man lays down on the forest floor, and with the doctor's guidance, finds the vein, all the while struggling to control his shivering fingers. Abigail motions for Harry not to watch from her cockpit, but by this point Henry 
is lying still and breathing slowly, with occasional jerks of his legs and arms as the Nahual takes over his system. The medicine races the infection, and I hear Hrau mutter to the father of passing, to speed this warrior on his way, as Annie prays for his soul. After a while longer, the doctor inspects his body from afar and gives a nod to Butler. I do not look, but I hear the shot that ensures Henry's departure. Abigail, we had done it. The southern door was closed. We knew the true source of the Wendigo. So why did it feel like we hadn't won the day? At Butler's insistence, everyone who went into that other place buried their accumulated clothing together and remained separate from the rest of the group for several hours and under constant observation. Nobody showed signs of infection, and by the evening we were permitted to break the quarantine and join one another again. We had dug a grave for Lieutenant Jackson over the course of the afternoon, and we buried him deep. It stood in the exact spot the southern door had been. We should ask that a proper headstone be put here someday, said Butler to us quietly, as we laid down a heavy slab of petrified wood which Rao pushed down into the earth above Henry. For those who gave their lives, and for everyone whose lives were taken from them. James. We made a camp for the night in the forest near Willowhaven. I considered for a time walking back to see if Samson and Strother could be found again, but I wasn't sure I would like either eventuality. An eerie sense of incompletion hung in the air. We all knew that with this door now closed, the natural next mission we would be sent on when we returned to Washington would be northward to Canada. But we were shaken, and the exhaustion over our never-ending odyssey was beginning to set in. I took Abigail aside in the moonlight some way off from the watchful eyes of Annie and Butler, whilst still remaining in their sight. Don't turn around, I whispered, but I have a theory for you. What is it? She was attentive and concerned. It reminded me of last year during that brief window when the two of us functioned together like a well-oiled machine. Our government shadows were drafted to us not long after I confronted Thomas with the possibility that should one of us die out here, the endowment in our body would pass to the nearest person. Yeah, and Annie's clinging to me like wet clothes to make sure that person isn't some complete stranger. We've discussed this. I don't like the restriction, but I've accepted it. I think there's more than we've been told. When we consumed that lemonade Strother had prepared for us, Annie was the only one who didn't drink. So, if we wound up poisoned and one or both of us died... Annie would still be fully functional and could take both endowments. 
which means she considered the act of drinking beverages offered to us to be dangerous, even courting disaster. So that got me thinking further. Let's imagine I were to attempt to leave this mission. Say, hypothetically, I wanted to follow Rebecca to England. Abigail scowled, but I gestured pointedly. What do you suppose Butler would have done? Asked Rebecca not to leave. And if she had anyway? Hogtied you. And if I ran? Chased you. And if I could not be caught? What are you asking me to say here, James? Just follow the thought through to its conclusion. I guess... He'd shoot you. And he'd be standing? Close enough to take the endowment for safekeeping. There was a nasty, sinking feeling that accompanied this reasoning. Abigail level with me. Annie has been getting increasingly agitated by your risking your neck, hasn't she? Yeah. I know why I do that, though, but I haven't discussed it with her. Why is it? Partly because at the time, someone had to do something. Like when the Southern Cross were chasing us. I saved our hides. And the closing up of the door on the riverboat. I had to make sure it was absolutely done. What's the other part? The rest is to convince myself I'm not her dog on a leash. To exercise a little rebelliousness. Remind her I won't follow orders to the letter. Do you realize how dangerous that is? I can handle the situations I throw myself into. Or else I wouldn't do it. No, I mean what a position you put her in. Oh. Let me ask you a question. When you jumped out of Steamheart and onto the stagecoach with the fellow dressed like a bear, did Annie ever point her gun at you? She was trying to hit him. She's the best crack shot in the world and he was the size of a barn door. Did the gun point at you? Yes. And on the boat, when your lives were in direct danger, did her hand go to her gun? Couple of times. In fact, she took it out at one point. But there was nobody to shoot. At this, Abigail looked at me warily. I went on. Butler has been asking me how I operate my endowment, or rather, how I think my endowment might operate, were I ever to get a handle on it. And I assume Annie has asked you to describe absolutely everything regards the closing of the doors, as was her remit from Thomas, just in case you were to die. Oh, shit. Oh, shit, indeed. This has to be paranoia. They would never... It's actually eminently practical. In Thomas's place, I would have asked for the same thing. In fact, now that I think about it, he put me in charge of Raven just before we left said that if the man became a liability, we were to leave him at the nearest town, and if no settlement was available, we were to leave him by the side of the road, ostensibly to die, and take his journals with us. I took a breath and nodded decisively. Thomas was a man who prepared for the very worst behaviour in everyone. What happened to trust? He trusted Annie and Butler, not us. I'm sorry, but I really am having trouble buying into this. These people are our friends. Maybe that's why they took the jobs. Oh. Maybe if it wasn't them, it would have been someone else. She paced away from me and looked out into the woods. Don't tell them yet. Just in case there's a clause requiring them to immediately kill both of us if we find out. Jesus, James, your mind is really dark and fucked up. 
There was a flash in her eye and a tinge of what may have been disgust in her voice. Maybe so, but I would suggest you trust it for the moment. I sincerely hope I'm wrong because we'll have a lot less to worry about. Abigail stalked back past me towards Steamheart. Annie called out to us. You two all right? We're just fine, Cap. Abigail grunted, giving her a wide berth. Just pissed off at the amount of travel ahead of us. Well, at least we can go straight back to Washington. I'll make sure we all get a good rest before our next assignment. I smiled tightly and retreated to my bunk to pretend to read. Raven, Agent Jeremy Pines, what are your thoughts on the Wendigo now that you have witnessed their savage origin firsthand? What are my thoughts? I guess... I guess I'm disappointed that they were a mistake. You'd rather they were the weapon of a calculating enemy? Oh, God. I just feel like if there was some thinking behind it, a plan, then it might put where we stand as a race in perspective of sorts. I'm just very, very sorry that half a dozen men died to establish those facts. You feel guilty for their deaths? I'm never going to forget their names. Peron, Yang, Bateman, Murphy, Basra, Shapiro, and Sergeant Jackson. The mission was to discover as much as we could about that place before the doors were closed. Some would say they performed their task to the best of their abilities. I could have pulled us out sooner. A few of them might still be with us. It's... It was a waste of human lives. What are you going to do now? I'm going to go home and work with Donald. Use what we did learn to save as many as we can. Damn it, I should have taken some leaf clippings. So do you see this mission as a failure? Not a failure. We closed the door. We've got the tiger to show for our grand theory of other worlds. It was just a... success with a price. Abigail. There was something I needed to do. What James had said had me thinking hard about the future. One I might not even be around for. I beckoned Harry into the cockpit and we sat down together. I wanted to hold her hand, but something just felt off. There was a long silence. You know, we... we can just be friends. A hundred different things that we could have said to one another. Our voices bitter or hurt or resentful or sorrowful, whistled through my mind. I knew my reasons for suggesting the same thing, and we had spent enough time together that I suspected I knew hers too. And yet, here she was, cutting me loose before I could do the responsible thing. Annie's words came back to me. This wasn't a rejection 
I could see that if I could just climb up over the pain. Throughout my life, I found compromise elusive. The decision always seems to be taken out of my hands before I can work out what ground I want to give. So I don't trust the middle. I can't rely on it. But Harry's suggestion, this compromise, was something I'd been circling since that first morning. She was just so damn fascinating. I couldn't bear to let her go. Friends was still good. Friends was even great. I moved my hand over to her bare shoulder and squeezed, making sure my thumb would go nowhere near that wonderful little sensitive spot on the inside of her elbow. You're kind of a genius, I said softly, about a lot of things, and I like that very much. She smiled back at me, and a great big tear rolled down her left cheek. I've never had a best friend before. If you ever need anything, anything, I'll come running. We sat together like that, and for the first time in a while, I liked who I was when I didn't get what I wanted. Listening to episode 31 of Steamheart Suspicion, written and directed by Alexander Shaw. Henry Jackson, performed by Jacob Newburn. Abigail Gray, performed by Sharon Shaw. Annie Oakley and Harry Arlington, performed by Loretta Saylor. Frank Butler, performed by Spencer Lieb. Jeremy Pines, performed by Matt Wardle. Raven, Miguel and James, performed by Alex Shaw. Make your decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Lightless Dawn, Silver Blue Light, and Ossuary, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes, including Before the Storm and Dark Angel, by Tabletop Audio. Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you to Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Tyler Long, Adam Kilmartin, Joe Gasiga, Greg Downing, Tim Rosinski, Christopher Wolfe, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Lukch, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Youngius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Datchler, and Lorraine Chisholm.
the Grave Duty Medal of Honor, adorned with a distinctive embossed red enamel shield, was commissioned by the RSA military to reinforce the good a man can do with his life and to remind their families and all who remember them that even in the paralyzing grip of the fear of a now certain death, anyone can make a difference with their further actions, no matter how small. Both Henry Jackson and Elizabeth Flynn were awarded this posthumous medal. They had no surviving family, but they were spoken of long after they departed. <laughs>